This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. Turnovers for sure, that's what number one thing. We saw a couple of games that we had a lot of turnovers and you kind of can understand what's, what's going to happen then and we spent way too much uh, time in our uh, defensive zone so now we're going to try to get that better and we got better in that and then also like the offense offensive zone has got a lot better and a lot of the lines have scored goals and, and stuff like that so overall it's been better. When you're not taxing your team um, and you're, you're staying out of the box it's biggest asset you can have in killing a penalty and it's a heck of a lot easier to kill off one than six and in part that is because the power play on the other team is they're not getting the chance to sit there and say okay you have one two three to figure these guys out and now they score in their fourth and their fifth one and so you're eliminating the possibility of that and and uh, you know, hence why I think we've done a great job there is we just not only we we're killing well, we're not just staying on the box and limiting the uh, number of opportunities against. Yeah, John Cooper, stay out of the box. That's one way your PK can be really good. Don't take those penalties. Had a nice weekend. Know about you guys. It was nice not having hockey mm-hmm. as we get ready for Halloween tomorrow. Did, By the your way, family, Halloween. did your family fetch you on your birthday? <clears throat> We did. We had a uh, trunk or treat on Friday, which was the day of. That was not a Greg Linelli event, though. No, and, you know, Dave, I do it for the kids. Yes. You know, it's about to be Happy three. Happy birthday, but, Dad. You know. Where's my candy? <laughs> yeah, really. And by the way, can I just say Halloween? I don't want to say overrated, but is there another holiday that gets more traction beyond the actual day than Halloween? Because my kids have had at least two trunk or treats mm. before the actual day where you are supposed to f- get candy. Yeah. And they have bucketfuls of candy already. They don't need to go trick or treating tomorrow. So this candy, this candy that was accumulated during the two events, the trunk or treat events, was this like full costume? You had to be in a costume. Trial I mean, run. It's not even a trial run, I guess. No. So it's like, like three, you're putting on you're putting costumes. on a Broadway show, my friend. You're doing eight shows a week. I know. That's what it felt like. And I'm <laughs> you're thinking, getting in really? costume. That's a great way to put it, Dave. Yeah. You've, I mean, look, you're a veteran of many trick or treats. I have I have passed to the other side. Actually, I shouldn't say I have passed to the other side because my daughter still actually goes out. My son stays with Dulcie and me in the driveway and helps hand out candy. But our days, our days of yeah, our days of walking the neighborhood are gone. Yeah, so that that part is a situation that um, you know. What are you going to do? But from the parents' perspective, more candy is leaving the house than coming in. That's actually not a bad thing. Yeah, I I, I'm not a huge candy person. Yeah, me neither. I don't think you are either. No. But just the volume, like you're talking about, what are we going to do with all of this candy? Right. And how much of it do, do my kids not even really like? No offense right. to those people who gave out Smarties or whatever it is. You know what Some I people see love Smarties, comeback. but my, my kids remember didn't nerds? really like them. They are popular. Remember the candy nerds? Well, I remember, and we are going to talk hockey today. Don't worry, folks. We have Everett Fitzhugh coming into studio. So that'll be a treat. Radio play-by-play voice of the Seattle Kraken. I remember when I was a kid trick-or-treating, and I wonder, because you're, shall we say, not a full generation, but you were maybe a, 
a page turn past me. I remember getting chocolate bars. And I'm not talking Mm. about the mini. I'm talking about, like, an actual chocolate bar. That was what we got for for Halloween. You don't see many, like, full-sized Snickers bars being handed out anymore. I love that. And maybe that's because you have to do it for, you know, five days or whatever. I think it is. I mean, you have these small little chocolates, which they're fine. Yes. And I'm I'm okay with that. But, like, nerds, Give me that chocolate Hershey bar. Yeah. Like, isn't that what Halloween is supposed to be about? Yeah. Chocolate. It is. It is. I've never been one for the, the, the kind of sour candies even the sweet give me the chocolate give me the Mm -hmm. butterfinger give me the reesey pieces give me the the hershey bar leave the sour patch kids the apples for somebody else (laughs) nobody gives out apples anymore i mean at that point just give me some floss (laughs) you know i'd rather have floss than an apple at that point what the hell anyway so weekend was good yes not having hockey was a little weird did you have anything for you at least yeah we went out to your chocolate bar yeah, with a candle a in it? We had a cake. We oh, had a okay, cake. good. You know one of those ice cream cakes? Ooh, so those are good. Those are good. Yeah. Those are good. So it was nice. I, of course, I you know, I like to play it out with my kids. I said, girls, you know, dad's birthday actually runs the whole weekend. I don't know if you guys knew that. And they were like, <laughs> dad, come on. I said, no, it's it's true. It's just I'm, I'm making the rules, and they, they got a big chuckle out of that. So well, they're down for that if it means they get a slice of ice <laughs> yeah, cream right. cake they every to, day right. through the weekend, And that's usually... Right? That's usually how it plays out. Of course. But it was uh it was fun being with the fam for sure and not having hockey, which is so weird. And, you know, we're back in action tonight. I don't know if the lightning Greg, I don't know if the Lightning were the only team to have the weekend off. And the Lightning had Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off, but this was not a heavy schedule weekend for the NHL. I mean the Saturday games there I think it was single digits. And then yesterday, the focus was on the outdoor game, Edmonton and Calgary, and there were there were a handful of earlier games. I mean, we did have Frozen Frenzy last Tuesday, so they made up for it. Lightning are going to get busy, though. They're going to get busy traveling. Coop in his morning press conference mentioned it wasn't really a direct question that he answered talking about the Lightning going on the road. It was in relation to a different question that was asked but he said you know we're basically going to be gone for seven weeks not entirely true they're not on a seven week road trip but the way the schedule is going to play out they are going to be making up some of these games that they've had at home and you know three game trip home for two four game trip home for one (laughs) two game trip home for one as well and so you're you're almost treating some of these home stands almost like an extension of the road trip and you get that you get that over the course of a out. long season. Yes, it does even out. I guess one of the things I took from John Cooper earlier today, mission you were there. We heard some of it coming in. Yeah, Tyler Mott will be on the road trip, correct? Yeah. Like he'll be, yeah, he's in the red he'll jersey. He'll be traveling. That'll be good. Well, you know, look, it was an upper body injury. blocked a shot with his hand. So, I mean, he can skate. There's no limitation there. On Conditioning his, shouldn't be an issue. From shouldn't that be an issue. I mean, timing timing is something that he's going to need to get back, and it's hard to replicate that in a practice. Did I see Chris Kren post something yesterday? Was it Vassy practicing? 
Vassy went on the ice. Yeah, I think he he went out on the ice. This injury, and we've heard this from a couple of different people, this, this, not injury, the recovery. The recovery from the surgery is one in which you feel better than you may actually may. You feel better than you are, <laughs> okay? Gotcha, gotcha. So you you feel like you're ready to go, but your body actually isn't ready to go. So it's almost like they need to keep the horse in the stable and not let it run free, if you get my analogy. So I think that Vassy is, is ready to go to do more. This is what we're hearing, but they have to really tamp it down because that's what the recovery and protocol be- calls for probably really hard to keep a, a, an athlete's drive in check because yes. you're feeling good you want to get out there the last thing you want to do is have him come back exactly early and the timetable is the same that was the other thing that came out of his appearance yesterday so let me ask you this meaning because that we're think, looking at another month probably in that range maybe a little this more is, yeah no i i think that's fair we've touched on this a bit and you know th- these are one of my overarching questions I like to pose sometimes but we talked about Johansson how good he's looked and one of the things you and I have discussed is that hey look do you give the guy and he's going to start tonight looks like is he just a guy you play as much as possible maybe go off script even more than what you originally planned knowing that when Vassy does come back Johansson's not expected to play at this pace for 82 games. You're basically going go as hard as you can for two months. Well, with the way he's playing, it, now, it, it, there are a couple of factors. First of all, he's earned each subsequent start, so it's not like he's had he a game in which, like, all right, time to get the other guy in there. And also, the schedule has been favorable, but that is going to change. I mean, the Lightning don't have a lot of back-to-backs in November. I believe they only have two. One on this upcoming trip, Toronto-Montreal, and then they have a Colorado-Arizona back-to-back at the end of the month. But I I still think it would not be surprising to see Tompkins get more starts, assuming Johansson's quality of play stays high. So it's not due to we need to give him a break. Assuming he continues to play the way he has been playing, I think with the travel, more travel, we may see more opportunities for Matt Tompkins to get in there. But as I said, I would not have expected at the start of this homestand that Johansson would have played all five. Sure. But he's going to, because as you said, he's getting the start tonight. Where I was headed and how he plays and how it directly relates to the team, in many ways that could be two different things. In other words, Johansson could play really well, and let's say the Lightning struggle to put points together because they're losing 2-1, 3-2. That's not happening, but it's more of a hypothetical. Do you think there's any chance the Lightning would look at it and say, look, he's playing really well, but we're losing games. If Vassy feels better, and it's around that two-month mark, or maybe even a little sooner, do you? is there more urgency to get him in the net? Or if he's playing well, meaning Johansson, and you're still, you know, you're dropping games, do you look at it and say, I don't know if Vassy coming back is going to be the answer. We've got to play better as a team. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Like with the goaltending situation, sometimes you may expedite the process of an injured player coming back because the team is struggling. But in this instance, the position that Vassy plays, the goaltender's played really well. 
is there a scenario where you'd look at it and say, yeah, uh, you know, if the, if the team is struggling to put up points or we're going through a rough patch here, but Johansson's playing well, do we think Vassy would make that much of a difference considering everything we're looking at when it comes to Johansson and that and how well he's played? Well, I think they've tried to address that this year because they've tried to get better defensively. Understanding, well, that is true. Understanding, that is true. I mean, they've been trying to get better defensively throughout this whole process with adjusting their D zone. <laughs> but specifically from the start of the year, they wanted to tighten up defensively. And I think they've done that as a whole over the course of this homestand and certainly in the last two games. Shutout wins. That part is true. That part is true. I'm just curious to see, I think we all are, does the team improve defensively? Does Johansson continue his high level? And as a result, whether they're winning the majority of those games, partner, or maybe just kind of keeping their head above water, does that have any inclination on when Vassy would return as well? And more so, yeah. would it be sooner? I don't know that what happens on the ice is going to affect Vassy's return. Gotcha. This is my opinion, but I think once he is cleared, he will return. He'll be ready to go. And that is, I mean, I don't I don't know enough about the recovery. You don't know enough about the recovery. John Cooper said he doesn't know. I mean, this is not our area of expertise, but the people who do have that area of expertise know it very, very well, and they'll, I'm sure, be able to, to give guidance about, like, yeah, he's still another week away. And then there's going to come a point where, okay, he's ready. And I think you're right based off of also, too, just kind of the injury that you described. I mean, this is one where you're feeling pretty good, but maybe your body's saying something else. You really right. have to probably stick to the rehab process. Yes. Discipline. I mean, that's what it takes. I guess from I've never undergone anything like this, but I guess I'd rather have it be I feel better than I am rather than <laughs> I am better than I feel. I mean, that's probably it requires discipline, but it's nice not to you know, be in discomfort, right? Sure. At Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in the conversation, you can. Line combinations partner, mm -hmm. at least according to the morning skates. Left to right, ABB, Point, Kucherov, Stamkos, Paul, Hagel, Janot, Sorelli, Merla, AC Mont, Glendening, Sherry. Yeah, that's the same. I'm really starting to like that second line, if you want to call it that With line. Paul. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am. Mainly because I think you've got some face-off guys on that line who can, who can win more than they lose. You're going to have that speed with Hagel, who I think, again, I, I think it is important to open things up in some way for a guy like Stamkos in that shot. I think that line can play with some jam, too. And there's enough skill on that line where it's, I think, it complements the first. Now, subject to change, we know that. But I like it. Mm -hmm. I like it. I'm coming around to it. I didn't, I didn't like taking Hagel off that first line, but if you're going to take him off that line and have somebody potentially put up some numbers like Barry Boulay and look, we still have to a ways to go. I think before anybody really feels confident that Barry Boulay is going to be doing what he did the last couple of games for the remaining of the season. I think if he does Dave that in addition to what they're finding out here on at the goaltender position would probably be the two biggest stories individually for personnel wise for the Tampa Bay Lightning. 
Well, my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with that. And both guys that you mentioned have looked really good in the role they've been put into. Johansson, basically, from the start of camp. Barry Boulay, specifically, since he's been playing with Point and Kucherov. Yeah, another guy that was moved at the start of the homestand was Merrilla. And I remember saying to you, I kind of liked the look of Merrilla with Janot, and then it was Paul until they swapped Paul and Sorelli, and now it's Sorelli. So interestingly, in the first four games for Merrilla, games in which primarily he, well, he was on a different line, let's say it that way, he had zero shots on goal. In the last four games since he's been with Janot and one of those two centers, he's had 10 shots on goal. And now look, shots on goal, I mean, those are on goal. He had attempts that weren't on net in the first four, and maybe some of these 10 are just kind of routine shots and saves. But, I mean, the eye test tells us that he has been getting closer, right, in these in these four games on the homestand. He has come close to scoring. I think that is that is related in part to the line he is on. I mean, the Barry Boulay example is a stark one because he got put with two of the most skilled players in the entire league, and he has responded. But Merrilla being moved onto this line, it seems to have allowed him to get into position and get pucks to the net. And a lot of that is on him, too. Like He deserves credit for it also. He does. Merle, you, you do get the sense. I think if he gets one like anything else, I think you're going to see him just play a little differently offensively, which mm-hmm. isn't a bad thing. And he's getting some chances, which I think for a younger player, that's what you want to see. How to finish at this level is the next step. But he's putting himself in a position, you know, I think to to put up some numbers offensively, partner. Yeah. And I think it's helping that maybe his line mates are also guys who have that that gritty style. But you know, Janot I think is playing more confidently in this in this situation um, than we saw last year. And Sorelli, I think, as well. I mean, that does have the makings of being a pretty good third line too. Lot of grit, lot of grit, and some size. Mm-hmm. You know, which is great. Which is great to see. You know, there's always that question, I think, a little bit with Sorelli. I love the fact that he could be a second-line center, but I don't know. Do you, do you always feel like it, it ends up being he's your third-line center no matter how the, the team shapes up? Well, not always. I mean, most of his time with the Lightning, I think he has been the second-line center. I mean, the years that the Lightning had the Gord line, Sorelli yeah. was playing as the second-line center. That's true. But Nick Paul has shown, last year he, he showed us this, like he can produce at the second-line center. And so Coop swapped them, and yeah. since he swapped them, what do they outscore the opposition now? 9 nothing. So kind of hard to argue with the results. <laughs> well, and we, we've said, and I think the league is, is going this way as well, having three lines that can produce something mm-hmm. offensively, and I think that's kind of where the, the Lightning have been for a, a decent portion of of where they are. Um, we are going to have Everett Fitzhugh joining us momentarily, but I do want to get into the Kraken a little bit. They, they have not had a great start this year. They've had a road-heavy start. Seven of their first ten will be on the road. Their trip ends tonight. But 
So understanding that it has not been an easy start. But last year, a big key to their success was scoring depth. I mean, unless I'm mistaken, Daniel Sprong was on their fourth line. And you look at his numbers last year. He's in Detroit this year. Sprong had 21 goals and 46 points. I mean, that's pretty good. Now, he got power play time. So it was a little bit a little bit like Corey Perry a couple of years ago for the Lightning where he was playing on a, a bottom six line but got power play time. But he's not there anymore. Morgan Geeky is not there anymore. He had nine goals and 28 points. Ryan Donato had 14 goals, 27 points. They didn't have a lot of turnover, but they had some. And it doesn't seem like they're getting the same amount of scoring depth this year. And some of the guys that they're probably going to be leaning on to do a lot of damage this year haven't really gotten going yet. Beniers has zero goals. They also got a fair amount of scoring from their defense last year. Dunn, double-digit goals. Alexiak, double-digit goals. Let me look up who else on D hit double digits and goals. This is at the end of the year. So Dunn had 14. Schultz had seven. Larson had eight. All right, I said double digit for Alexiak. He had nine, so he was close. I mean, that's not bad, you know, from your, your blue line. And this year, that has dried up. So they are not scoring. They have 20 goals through nine games, Greg. 12 of those 20 goals have come in two games. Yeah. So in the other seven, they've only scored eight goals. That's like San Jose levels. So that's been part of the problem. Grubauer has not had a great start. In fact, Joey Decord has played most of the recent stretch of games. I'm not sure if he's going to be in tonight or it's going to be Grubauer. But as the Seattle broadcasters were telling me earlier today, like Grubauer has gotten no run support either. So, okay, you can say he's giving up too many goals, but if they're only scoring one or two when he's in the net, you know, that's not an easy formula to to follow to, to get points. So suffice it to say, Seattle surprised some teams last year, both in the regular season and with their success in the playoffs. They upset Colorado. They took Dallas to seven games in the second round. They are not sneaking up on anyone this year. And I think they're finding that out. But we'll get more of, more of an accurate, like, finger-on-the-pulse assessment from Everett when he gets here. You know, as we've experienced here in Tampa Bay, of course, I mean, just the, the expansion draft and the expectations with expansion teams have changed. Mm-hmm over the years but speak this is going off topic a bit as we wait forever do you about this news for, about adam johnson oh my gosh i, I, I mean remember, that might be i remember I, him I, playing yeah i don't Vaguely. i don't remember ever hearing of anything like that happening before i've heard incidents heard of incidents where players have been cut by skates and the clint malarchuk incident back in the, i think it was in the 80s yeah where he sustained a cut, but I mean, they treated him and he survived. It was it was to his neck, but this just sad. This was just a brutal freak. And I'm accident. surprised because we when oftentimes when we see something that is tragic in any sport, a lot of times there is a change that is made on the field on the ice. Mm-hmm. Players may choose to wear neck guards. Yeah. 
I, I don't know. We'll I don't a, know how cumbersome that would be. I mean, not really yeah. knowing. I mean, players could probably wear them now, and they're choosing not to. Yeah. Some and goalies have the thing off the mask, right? To, yeah, to, they do. To protect their neck. Not every goalie has that, though. I'm surprised with how technology has advanced a great deal. I mean, basically, year in and year out, that we haven't found certain gear that athletes could wear to help protect Mm -hmm. their bodies. I mean, in football, they're constantly tinkering with the helmets. And you probably could make the case in some other sports they are as well. You remember in baseball, they have the the meshing now, right? And hockey. And hockey. You know? Well, players wear the the cut-resistant, I don't even know what the material is, but it is cut-resistant. But you see that, like, on their arms and legs. Yeah. Not in the neck. That was um, something that was just kind of following along on Twitter Mm -hmm. a little bit over the weekend. And I saw that, and I said, hey, played for Pittsburgh for a little bit. Yeah, Minnesota kid. Yeah. Played at Minnesota Duluth. So, they had very, very good teams when he was there. I mean, everyone kind of, once it happened, everyone was like, well, what is this guy's history? Everyone looked it up, I, including me. Yeah. I didn't remember, I remember him in him. Pittsburgh, but you would have. I think he only played 13 games, but the his when you watch it, he could fly. Absolutely fly. And, um, you know, had a cup of coffee. Yeah. In the NHL. And, that was, and a lot that of players, you know, they kind of, they kind of run out of real estate here, meaning in North America, like they're no longer going to be in an NHL team's plans. The American Hockey League is generally a younger league. They want to emphasize spots for prospects with rare, you know, maybe I shouldn't even say rare exception. There are exceptions like the veteran guys, the the Lightning have, you know, Gabe Dumont, for example, he's a veteran guy, but he's the captain in Syracuse. So you have spots available for players like that. But a lot of them do go over and play in Europe for for a few years or maybe more than a few years. I mean, it's kind of like retiring. in basketball. You know, in basketball, they go over to Europe and play. Mm-hmm. The money's better. Yeah, so he in was playing in, in England. So it's not like he was playing, Correct. you know, in the Swedish Elite League where, you know, a lot of, a lot of those yeah. players end up coming to the NHL, actually. So this is a different sort of league. But, yeah, players what? do that. What is the best league outside of North America? Because you hear so much about the KHL, mm-hmm. but you do hear about in Sweden yeah, how good those leagues are as well. Well, you know? some of the teams in Finland went to the KHL. I, I, I'm yeah. not sure if that's still the case. I think most of the Finnish teams are still in the Finnish league, which is the one that Merola played in and won back-to-back championships. I would probably put those leagues all on equal footing understanding that you know each league might have a slightly different personality to it they all play on the larger ice surface for sure and of course there's a czech league too i mean just look at the players that are coming out of those countries and how many of them play in the nhl and how well those countries do in international competitions so russia sweden finland and i still call it the czech republic i guess it's czechia now you know, those are those are legit. Those are high end leagues. Yep. Some players who, you know, are we'll call them national players in those leagues, you know, it's it's good living. It may not be quite as good as the NHL in terms of the, the caliber of play, but they get to stay home, right? 
That's enticing for some players. It is. At some point, it becomes more about quality of life than it does yeah. going up and down the minors in the NHL to make it. And it's just not as much as we'd like to think all of these guys are wired a certain way, partner, that mm-hmm. it's either NHL or bust. Look at Simon Rifors. Right. I mean, this is their livelihood. Yeah. And how can you make a career out of it while at the same time enjoying life? Right. And for some of these guys, they may be like, look, I can make six figures playing in Sweden, being around my family, understanding that, you know what, I, I didn't I didn't make it to the NHL, but I'm, I'm set for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, there is, I think we all probably go through those moments. You know, it doesn't have to be just hockey you know how how can you find the best of both worlds if that's possible and i think for a lot of those guys are they talented enough dave to play at the nhl level probably you know at least a cup of coffee for sure Mm -hmm. but then it just becomes you know how badly do i want to do all the other things that come with it because it's just not it's just not all about performing on the ice yeah you get traded you could you could be sent down you may never get another opportunity to come back up. And the life of a professional athlete, nobody's going to feel sorry for millionaires or close to it. But I think you do have to check out and keep all of those things in perspective when you're looking at some of these guys and, and the decisions that they eventually do make. Yes. Um, if you want to get involved in any of that conversation, you can at Bolts Radio. Do we have time to... Take a tweet. Yeah, you'll be my eyes down there. Well, whatever it is, is doing Whenever media with Seattle. So as soon oh, okay. as he is done, when I say doing media, talking to the coach. So once he's done there, he's going to swing by. Why doesn't he talk to the coach on our show? That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Do a little, little inside scoop, right? Let you and me just put our feet up on the Why desk. Not? Al says you could put anyone with pointed cooch and he would look good. I'm not impressed with ABB. If he can only play with great players. Put Merlo with him and see if you have another Palat type player. You won't know until you give him a chance. Well, I respectfully disagree, Al. I think John Cooper would disagree too. And we've seen examples of players going on that line with Point Kucherov, and it just does not work. You need to you need to be able to possess, I think, a certain level of, as they call it, hockey IQ to mesh with those guys. And sometimes players with high hockey IQs don't mesh with them. I mean, we have seen examples of that before. Like, Corey Perry knows how to play. 400 goals, right, in the NHL. Won the Rocket Richard. And it was a very short experiment when Perry went onto the line with Point and Cooch. Well, the other thing, too, is, look, I'm not going to knock... Barry Boulet for not performing as well in a bottom six role than he is right now. And while it's easy to sit there and say, look, if you can play, you can play. It it doesn't matter who you're playing with. I think that's, I think you're living in a perfect world there, Al. I think there are just some players who do better with a certain skill set than they do others. Doesn't make it right or wrong, mm-hmm. but I've also seen instances where just because you're playing with the two best players on the team offensively doesn't mean that's going to translate to to some success. Sometimes it's difficult to play with high-end players. 
trying to think the game the way they do, uh, it's not easy. I remember back in the day, Kip Miller found a role with Yarmir Yager, Dave, for like half a season or for a full season. Mm-hmm. Do you think Kip Miller was the most talented player on that team? No, but he knew how to play with Yager, and that allowed him to stay in the, in the NHL for a couple of years. And some guys can can find that role a little easier and adjust to it a little easier. Sometimes they can't. I think for Barry Boulay, everything we heard about him down at the AHL and what a dynamic scorer he was there, uh, we're starting to see it because he's playing with a couple of elite players. And if I'm lightning, if I'm the lightning and lightning management, I'll take it however I can get it at this point when it comes to Barry Boulay, Dave, and and where he is. Because this is this is who you wanted to see the last couple of years. And if it took playing with Kucherov and Point to get out of him, well, then so be it. I'm not going to hold that against him. But it wasn't Keep. only it wasn't only the line change. I think Barry Boulay has put himself in a position to be used in that role. We talked about the improvements that he has made over the course of his pro career, and specifically within the last year. His skating has improved. He has become harder on the puck. He is better defensively. And once those boxes were checked, you know, he's in a position where you can put him in that role. And it's not just that he he earned the spot, if you want to say it that way. It's that when he is put in that spot, because his skating has improved, he can get where he needs to get. He's not spending as much time in his own zone because when he gets the puck, he's making a play to help the Lightning get out of their own end. You know what I'm saying? I've seen that. I know you were not you were not swayed maybe during the preseason. I thought he had a better preseason than he had in previous years. Yeah. It wasn't good enough to make the opening night roster. But Mott gets hurt in game one. Yeah. Spot opens up, and within three games of getting back in the lineup, Barbule is playing on the top line. He's done very well. He is going to be judged in part with what he does offensively at the NHL level. It's just he's an offensive player. You want to see him collect mm-hmm. points. The other stuff, you're right. I think he had to work on, whether it was defensive awareness, foot speed, all of that might be contributing also to partner to the production we're seeing right now as well. Just becoming a complete player. When you become a complete player, I think you should have a little bit more confidence in your game. Hey, look, I know I can keep up with these guys at the NHL level because my skating is improved. Good. Yeah. Hey, my defensive awareness. I have an idea of where to be. When I'm not thinking about things on the ice and I'm just reacting, how many times do you hear an athlete say that? number of times. So maybe Barboulet is just kind of in that... In that sweet spot, and Dave, he's not 22 anymore, right? No, you and know, it, it it may click. He has played for two NHL teams, the Lightning and the Seattle Kraken. So Everett Fitzhugh's now joining us. He got to see Barry Boulay yeah. 
We're in. Seattle what do you even call legend. it? We're in the. What is the color? It's not the teal. That's the sharks. What are yeah, you guys? So we are uh, ice blue. Ice blue. The, he was wearing the ice blue. The ice blue. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Kraken legend. Alex Barry uh, had, a, had a point uh, in in the in the opener for Seattle. I think he played what two games for us? Three yeah, games and then we gobbled him so back up. Gobbled off him right waivers. back up off waivers. I know that was man. The waiver wire is so weird in this league. It can be funky sometimes. So that was interesting how that happened. So he had three games last year in the. Yeah. NHL, two with the Kraken, one with the Lightning, and and now he finds himself after being cut. I, I say cut. Yeah. I don't really like using that word because it's not like pack your bags, kid. <laughs> you know, we'll see you later. <laughs> he was he was assigned to the minors. He yes. never actually got there though because by the time the Lightning were actually playing, yeah. Mott got hurt in the first game. He gets back up and has a chance to play in the top line and is doing very well. But let's talk about the Kraken. And before we get into this year, I want to go back to last year. Yeah. And Greg and I had John Forslund on at some point during the Kraken's first year. And what he spelled out for us was the expectations were probably too high <laughs> within the community based on yeah. what Vegas had done. Yeah. Unfairly so. But the Kraken are going to need to be better. Well, last year, the Kraken, they were better. They won a round. They were within a game of getting to the conference final. What was your take on, like, how did the team make such a big jump from year one to year two? Yeah, I, I, as far as the expectations go, I mean, John was 100% correct. I mean, I, I think it's hard not to look at Vegas. Vegas has messed it up for every expansion team from now until the end of time. You know, they're going to look back and see, oh, look at the Golden Knights did their first year. Whenever the NBA or the NHL or the NFL, whenever they expand next time, they're always going to look at Vegas. But I think the, the biggest takeaway for, for Seattle was you kept the core in place last season. Um that first year, a number of players who were on the expansion draft, they they were traded. You bring in draft picks. You bring in uh, a guy from Columbus and Oliver Bjorkstrand. You flip him for a third and a fifth round pick. You you sign Andre Burakovsky, who is coming off of a good year um, in Colorado. Now, unfortunately, he's been hurt for a lot of it. But last year, you also bring back Jaden Schwartz and uh, Brandon Tanev, who were injured in year one. So for Seattle, they had a number of really good role players coming back in um, uh, into their lineup. And I think the style of play the Kraken had last year, the the ability to spread around the offense, this team had 101 points from their fourth line. I mean, that is unheard of. Daniel Sprong had 46 points uh, in 11 and a half minutes of ice time on average. So for the Kraken, it was that full team buy-in, that full team effort. And they did it largely without any superstars. I mean, Matty Beneers, Jordan Eberle, those players, you know, Eberle's uh, experience and Matty, obviously, his, his youth and, and his talent and he's, you know, the Calder winner from last year, but there were no, there's no Stamkos on, on the Seattle Kraken. There's no Kucherov um, on the Seattle Kraken, but they've done it by committee and they've had a team full of really good second line players buying into that system. Makes a lot of sense. And you know what's interesting? I think when you take a look at this team, meaning Seattle this year, ever compared yeah. to last year, is it fair to say, um, you know, the goaltending, we, we don't know how it's going to play out this year, but at yeah. least the combination last year of the goaltenders was 
a lot more accomplished than what you have this year. You know, goaltending, I think, has been the most polarizing position uh, of this team in, in, in our brief history. I, I remember going into the inaugural season with Philip Grubauer and Chris Drieger. Uh, the Athletic had that tandem ranked as the third best tandem in the NHL. Um, Drieger and Grubauer, they both suffered through various injuries in the in the beginning season. COVID was still around, so I think, I think it was Drieger had a bit of a bout with COVID, and they never were able to get that um, that tandem right. So then you go into last season, last summer. Well, then Chris Drieger gets injured in the gold medal game for Team Canada, the World Championships. He's out for for the whole season. So now you're like, man, once again, what is this team going to look like in goal? You bring in Martin Jones uh, from from San Jose the year before, and he goes on this this miracle run. You know where he uh, 24, 25 wins last year for the Seattle Kraken without. Martin Jones, his play, I don't think this team has the same success. And the goaltending position, I think, last year, despite the goals against average and despite the save percentage, they still played well last year. Um, and I know a lot of folks will get caught up on that number. I think it was a sub-900 save percentage. I know it's an ugly number. It doesn't look good as a team. Um, but the goaltending position, I thought, last year was really good. You know, they, they, they say that the there's only a goaltending controversy when both te- goalies are playing well. And I thought last year both goaltenders played well. Martin Jones through that middle portion of the season when Grubauer was out for injury. And then when Grubauer came back, he needed to have the playoff run that he did. The last six, seven weeks of the season and then into the playoffs, that was the Philip Grubauer that Kraken fans and, and the and the administration knew they were getting when they, they signed him out of Colorado. So this year... Grubauer now your number one starting goaltender. Joey Decord, who who has had a really good career, mostly in the minors. He's been one of those fringe uh, AHL, NHL guys, spot backup duty here and there. But now he has an opportunity to to be a, a full-time NHL rostered goalie, and he's done well. And, and, and this is not a knock against Grubauer, but if you look at the performances this season, Joey Decord has all the points in the standings for Seattle. But that also... Will push Grubauer. Both goaltenders, they have a great relationship. They push each other to be better, um, and, and, and we'll see Grubauer here tonight um, based off of what we saw at Morning Skate today. So I, I think the goaltending is is always going to be one of those areas that gets talked about so much, but I, I think for Seattle, this will end up being a, a strong point for this team. You mentioned earlier that the Kraken do not have a Braden Point, they yeah. do not have a Nikita Kucherov, but when you're an expansion team, you do get high draft picks coming out of the gates, and Matty Beneers was a number two overall pick, yeah. Shane Wright was a number four overall pick. For those two guys, do you foresee them becoming game breakers and maybe is Beniers a game breaker at this point? I, I think I think down the road you're looking five years from now as Matty your number one uh, and and Shane Wright your number two centers and I think for Matty Beniers he is at least early on at the onset of his career I think he is he is an all-star 
on that verge to great player. And then as he continues to 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 develop and grow and learn the league and navigate the league, tonight's his 100th NHL game. I think we're going to see him go from uh, all-star player to great player here pretty soon. And I think we're going to see him from going from great player to elite player. I think he has that in him. Um, now, you know, wh- where does that leave Shane Wright? I mean, a lot of folks think that, you know, he, he's, he's a draft bust already and, and what are the Kraken doing? He's 19 years old. What are you doing at night? What were you doing? What were we all doing uh, at 19 years old? But for Shane Wright, he he got the exemption this year to go uh, to the American Hockey League, and he is thriving uh, down there in, in Coachella Valley. So he is is going to be a good player uh, for this team. He already his work ethic is his the way that he approaches the game, the way that he carries himself, the way that he prepares. The, the stories of of the Zamboni drivers having to chase him off the ice almost on a daily basis uh, coming out of Coachella and then even here he was given the option after Coachella had that seven game playoff run in the finals he was given the option to not come to development camp because development camp was two weeks later and he said no I want to be in Seattle I want to be around these guys I want to be a leader in this organization so Shane Wright is doing everything right pun very much intended um, to to have a long and successful career so I think you know five years Years from now, you're, we're going to see Matty Beneers in that top role um, for for this team, and I think Shane Wright, once he gets a, a full year in the AHL, a full year of pro hockey. Now that obviously will depend on the health of this team. I have to imagine that Shane Wright would probably be one of the first call-ups out of Coachella should the Kraken need someone. But he gets he gets this experience um, in the minors, and 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 he performs well. He's I think he's got uh, five goals through the first seven games down there, I believe or eight games, something like that. He's been playing real well, and and it's only a matter of time before we have that 1A, 1B up the middle for Seattle. Everett Fitzhugh joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Greg Linnelli, Dave Michigan with you. Everett, talk about maybe some of the the veterans they brought in, maybe in the offseason, Pierre-Edouard Belmar, somebody we're very familiar with as well, and maybe what are the expectations for a couple of those guys coming in trying to help Seattle? Yeah, uh, Belmar has really come in, and and he has taken the baton as a leader uh, on this team, as as a a vibe setter, if you will. I've, I've never seen this man without a smile on his face and his attitude is so infectious his smile lights up the room and I think it has a positive impact I mean listen this team hasn't gotten off to the start I think that they would have liked based on everything we saw last year but Belmar has really added some levity to the room I think and and and, and he's brings a calming uh, presence to that locker room he can win face-offs for you he, he's he can eat up a ton of minutes for you he was actually talking this morning um, in, in his media avail uh, about why he chose to come to Seattle and 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 it's because of the system it's, it's a difficult system to play and he loves the skating and he loves being relied on in that way and for him I, I think he's he's not going to score a ton of points for you he's not going to get you a ton of goals but he's going to, to work hard every night he's going to bring a positive impact in the locker room on the bench he is a guy that I saw him block four shots on one shift and uh, he could barely 
skate off the ice, but he was right back five minutes later. So um, he he has been a player, I think, so far early on that a lot of folks have been able to learn from and 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 to grow under. Uh, Brian Dumoulin as well. You bring him in from Pittsburgh, a, a guy that spent uh, so many years on, on um, uh, Latang's wing uh, in in with the Penguins, and to be able to to now have him and Justin Schultz paired together, uh, that has been a, a big help defensively, I think, for Seattle. Kyler Yamamoto, uh, who spent so much time in Edmonton, we're now seeing what he can do um, in, in, in his role as well. So I think while Seattle didn't go out this summer, they didn't make the big free agency splash, and I think a lot of folks would have liked to see that. The Kraken, though, did come in, and they brought in a lot of pieces that will already help, uh, that, that will help and complement that core that they've got. It has not been an easy start to the schedule for Seattle, although as I say that, Seattle had a terrific road record last year. Yeah. But tonight will be the, the seventh road game out of the first ten, yeah. and the record is not probably where the franchise wanted it to be. Goal scoring has been an issue. Yeah. And we were talking about it this morning. 20 goals scored on the year through nine games, but 12 of those came in two games, which means that only eight in the other seven. What do you make of that? Why is it happening? Yeah, that, that that's the million-dollar question. I mean, a, a team that five-on-five five last year was was in the top third of the league, the top ha- uh, you know top five in the league and, and, and scoring five-on-five. Five. Uh, listen, this league is ever changing, as we all know, and I think that for Seattle, there was. We talk about the fourth line. We talk about what what a guy like Daniel Sprong brought between Daniel Sprong, Morgan Geeky, and Ryan Donato last year. Seattle lost 101 points in the uh, in the off season, and I think a lot of that still comes with chemistry too. And listen, even though McCann. Uh, Beneers, Eberle played together a lot last year. Uh, Jaden Schwartz, uh, Alexander Wenberg, they all played together last year. You're still now playing with new wingers. You're still um, going up against teams who are game planning. This team was never going to be taken by surprise this year. And Jarrett McCann said as much in the offseason coming in the training camp. He said, listen, we know that teams took us a bit lightly last year because of our inaugural season. We know that's not going to happen again this year. We know that we're going to have to work harder uh, twice as hard on a nightly basis to have success and this team is working hard you can see the the effort is there and that's I think why it's been so frustrating because it, it can be easy to get blown out seven to nothing every single night and you can identify the problem there but for Seattle who were getting the opportunities who were who are performing well on the power play they're getting good looks on the power play you know I, I call it the 95-5 problem Seattle they're doing 95% everything right and that last last 5% is actually scoring goals and for whatever reason they've been snake bit early on we're going to see a bit of a mix up on the wing here tonight with Eberle uh, and Bjorkstrand flipping uh, on the, the top two lines on the right side so we'll see um, if Karche, Beneers and, and Bjorkstrand can can help with some offense tonight but for Seattle it's it's to continue to get some of that swagger back that they had last year as Dave Haxtell, uh, Kraken head coach said this morning getting that swagger back finding the confidence. The confidence has always been there, but it, it's not hanging your head. It's not sulking. It's not being frustrated because the pucks aren't going in. It's continuing to work, continuing to get get the offense. And as we saw with the Carolina game, when it rains, it pours, right? When you get two, you're going to get three, you're going to get four. And I think for Seattle, they have to continue that mindset and they have to continue that work. Last question 
on my end when we talk about just in general ever at yeah. the what you've seen through seven to eight games outside of Seattle and Tampa Bay is there anything that's surprising you over there in the Western Conference uh, you know, I think everyone has been waiting for the Vegas Golden Knights shoot a drop. You know, they, <laughs> they 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 make the final in their first season, and and you hear all of the you hear all of the talk about man, they they gave away the draft picks. There's no way they're going to be able to keep this going, and here they are already miles in front of everyone. Um, I I I think the biggest surprise for me, Edmonton, the start that they've gotten off to. Um, you know, this is a big couple of years for the Oilers. Uh, you can re-sign Dreisaitl this summer. Uh, he's eligible for his extension. Next summer you are eligible to re-sign McDavid uh, to his extension. Um, so there's a lot of talk in Edmonton. Are you going to keep the band together? How can you keep the band together? Listen, this is an Oilers team. I think they're only carrying 19 guys because of the salary cap. They can't afford to have the full complement of players. So they're going 11-7 and seven most nights, which worked for them last year um, a lot. But for 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 the Western Conference, Vancouver has been a team that I think has surprised a ton of people as well on the positive side. I mean, the, as their goaltending goes, as Demko goes, I think that um, Vancouver Canuck team goes, and, and he's been able to, he's been playing pretty well early on as well. So those would be my big surprises. Um, I don't think anyone saw an Ofer start for San Jose, but you know, given that they had to, to tear that whole thing down with all the contracts, Eric Carlson being gone, a number of players they. Had had to get rid of their contracts and you know Mike Greer is having uh, the 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 difficult job of rebuilding but you see the 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 pieces there you can see the foundation in San Jose of what they're trying to build and, and I think for them it's only a matter of time um, and then obviously Chicago with Connor Bedard the, the the media circus that has been the tour uh, that has been going on with him so I mean there's a lot of really good storylines out west um, you know Colorado they're still uh, after last year I think they they had a bit of a burr in their saddle after that first round playoff exit and a lot of folks have Colorado back at the top of the conference I know a number of folks who have uh, Avalanche uh, in the final uh, out of the West this year so the West I, I think uh, there's going to be a lot of drama out West. I, I, I still think the East is the the deeper, uh, the better of the conferences but I mean there's still a, a lot of, of great storylines out West for sure. Well, it should be a good one tonight, Ever. Thank you so much, buddy, yeah. for coming on. We always appreciate it, and we'll have you on again, and uh, we'll talk a little more hockey at the time. Hey, sounds good. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Everett. Right. Everett Fitzhugh joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. And, yeah, I mean, I think Seattle, I, I think he said it good. You know, they're, they're said it well. They're not catching anybody by surprise. No. And I think teams are ready for them. It is interesting looking up and down their roster, and we did this a little bit over the weekend, partner, on on Friday heading into the weekend. I mean, they have good players. They do. Yeah. Game breakers, I don't know yet, but they do have a lot of, theoretically, uh, solid personnel from top to bottom. And I think it's probably like a, a lot of teams right now trying to trying to find that groove while at the same time, you know, staying in, w within striking distance with some of these teams who are ahead of them currently right now in, in the standings. It's still early, but as we talked about as well, I don't know what's sustainable with some of these teams who are ahead in the standings and, and some who are struggling. We've talked about Chicago and Anaheim and some of these other teams that you would think are, are going to struggle throughout the year, but 
Who knows how the year is going to play out? Yeah. That's why you need to get off to a decent start. And I think that's what Everett was getting at when he said the East is deeper, which it is. I think most people would agree that from top to bottom, there are more teams in the East that that seem to be poised to make a legitimate push to either A, get in the playoffs, or B, make a deep... I mean, there are only so many teams that can make a deep run in the playoffs. You can't have five teams get into the Eastern Conference Final, but... I think the the equation of which teams could get to the Eastern Conference final legitimately, not factoring in upsets or or something weird happening in a playoff series like what happened in the West last year. I think most people expect Colorado would beat Seattle. The one versus the eight, it didn't happen. Understanding those things can occur. But the West is confusing to me because I think you have a lot of unanswered questions about some of these teams that would not be classified as part of the deep <laughs> equation. Colorado and Vegas, yes. Dallas, yes. I'm willing to put L.A. in there. Playoff team the last couple of years, fine. Where is Arizona? Where is Anaheim? How far along is Chicago? Yeah. How far along is Nashville? Like, we don't really know at this point how much... Has Calgary dropped from last year? They just missed the playoffs last year, which was a huge disappointment after they won the division the year before. They're 2-6-1 and one this year. Are they going to turn that around? Are they going to be one of those bottom teams? And some other team is going to kind of move up as a result. And so I think there is a lot of unknown there. But if you were to ask me at the start of the year, without having seen some of these teams yet, although we did see Vancouver, and I thought Vancouver – has improved. They didn't have a fantastic game against the Lightning, but they are 5-2-1 and one through eight games, and no one can take that away from them. I would say that there are probably four to five teams in the West that clearly are going to miss the playoffs. I may be proven wrong by that, but if you were to ask me, will Anaheim make the playoffs? I would say at the start of the year, I would have said probably not. Arizona? Probably not. San Jose? Probably not. Chicago? Probably not. <laughs> And maybe I would have included Vancouver in there, too. And I may be proven wrong by that. But what that means is, of the available spots, there are fewer chairs left, which is good news for the Edmontons and the Seattles. You know what I'm saying? I do. Instead of instead of getting to the top eight out of 14 teams that have a legitimate path, they have to get there of out of 11 teams. So even though they may be down in the standings at the start of the year... The likelihood is they're going to make up ground, but they have to go out and do it. 20 goals goals in nine games. I mean, that's not quite like San Jose, which is at nine goals in nine games. That's really hard to do. But they're they're going to need to start putting the puck in the net, I think, Seattle. I would agree. Well, we'll watch them tonight. No doubt about that, partner. I will see you in a few hours. See you in a few hours. Absolutely. It'll be a lot of fun. Thanks to all involved who helped with this broadcast. Austin Wright, our broadcast assistant, Steve Ersnick. Our producer, Everett Fitzhugh, joined us earlier there talking about Seattle. For Dave Michigan, I'm Greg Lanelli. We'll be with you again tomorrow, noon to one, on Lightning Radio.